I don't know about you, but parenting isn't what I thought it would be. It's way more guilt, anxiety, and chocolate than I ever imagined. I'm so happy and proud of the family we've built, but at other times, I feel like I've lost myself along the way. Parents are human too. You may be one of us absently wandering the aisles of a hardware store pondering, what is this thing called parenting? Welcome, and we're so glad to share this brief part of our journey with you. We're a group of parents and professionals acknowledging all Coast Salish people on whose traditional and unceded territory we live, we learn, we play, and podcast. We'd also like to recognize Fraser House Society, our partner in making this thing called parenting possible. Is self-care BS? And what is self-care? What is toxic health syndrome? Today, we join Ashley, Kathleen, and Karen mid-conversation about moms and caregivers and wellness as Karen shares what she learned from the book Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. Let's jump into this spontaneously recorded episode. Wellness isn't a state of being wellness is the ability and I'm not reading this yet. I'm still looking for the quote. Wellness Mm -hmm. is the ability to move in or to flow in and out of states of excitement and hyper focus and challenge and stress, and then move back into calm again, and then flow back into challenge and stress and deal with it and then flow back into calm again. And we've lost the ability to do this. They basically describe emotions are like a tunnel. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. And the problem is is either we're so overwhelmed and we're not used to feeling emotions that we get stuck. Uh, in the middle of the tunnel, instead of following all the way out, the way to follow out the end of the tunnel, it's not not getting rid of the stressor, it's dealing with the stress in and of itself. So sometimes the stressor is removed, like if I have a bad, a difficult meeting with my supervisor, and then the meeting is over, but I'm still experiencing the stress. So I need to do something to let the stress go. And they have a whole bunch of different ways listed. The primary way is exercise. So out walking and feeling the stress leaving your body or um, hugging. And they're saying actually like a good firm hug for about 20 seconds, which can be uncomfortable if it's not with an intimate partner. 20 seconds is a very long hug. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and we're not supposed to be doing that kind of stuff during the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. um, but having all these different ways and then noticing the stress leaving your body and just understanding that whole cycle because you have to exit the tunnel. And the problem with us and being burned out and being stressed out and all this stuff lately, it ba- basically the problem is that, that we're not exiting the tunnel, we're getting stuck. So stuckness is actually our problem. It's not that we don't have the ability to, to get out of it. So that's really what the whole book is about. And, uh, and it's so, it, and, and it's really about the flow between the, the physical, the body, the emotions and our relationships. And that's the critical piece. I think that's really important. Um, that's missed so much is the critical role that relationships and connection play for us in all of this and that the connections and our relationships with other people is another key to exiting the tunnel 
Otherwise mm. we get stuck in the tunnel if we don't have those connections and those relations. Um, a lot of other health uh, provide alternative health providers I've been reading and listening to lately talk about how you have to be able to see the dirt in order to clean it. So you have to focus sometimes on the negative things. Before, and dirty. Yeah. Yeah. So that you can see what needs to be cleaned up so that you can start spotting it. Cause as soon as you can identify it, you can start changing things. One of my really good friends who's a therapist as well, she's been studying again, like we could talk forever about different psychological and therapeutic theories, mm-hmm, <laughs> how most of them are based in studying adults, primarily white sort of Anglo yeah. adults and how a lot of it really doesn't translate um, to many communities and youth and children in a lot of ways. So I'm a huge proponent proponent of play therapy, expressive therapy. And I think of you, Kathleen, and dance and like how critical that is in that movement. And one thing that my friend who is also named Karen, one of the tips she gave me in terms of dealing with my daughter is when she's having a difficult feeling, ask her what her body wants to do. So if she's having a tantrum or she's angry or she's upset, instead of saying, you know, and it's important to acknowledge the feeling, okay, oh, I can see you're upset. You know, and that's a lot of what we do when we're talking about building resilience and connection and attachment, but also asking her, what does your body want to do right now? Because I feel like it aligns with what you're saying, going through that Mm -hmm. tunnel. Mm -hmm. And if we don't let our kids stay on that train to get outside of the tunnel, um, stay on the track through the light, the other side, then- we get stuck. We get stuck and or that trauma gets in your locked. body. Exactly. Gets yes. locked in. And then that way, trauma upon trauma builds up. And this yes. is what I explain to a lot of the young people I work with is oftentimes we're being triggered by some sort of trauma in the moment or something that's challenging, but our body goes into absolute panic or absolute overwhelm or it shuts down and it's so confusing and I and this is basically how we look at it is trauma locked in the system it's so funny I have to have beads in front of me right now but it's almost like okay here are all those little moments in your life where you kind of got shocked in the system and they start to collect like beads on a string and then something happens and it's never fully processed or it's still in the cave or the tunnel Karen Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. according to your analogy and then one gets activated one moment like someone puts you down or you um, lose out on that job or there's you know your friend um, steals your toy and doesn't share you know whatever it is uh, whatever age you are but that one trauma lights up all those other traumas like a whole string in your system that are locked in And before you know it, your body is responding to 10 traumas that haven't Mm -hmm. been fully processed Mm -hmm. versus that one trauma in the moment that is difficult that we're trying to move through. So Mm -hmm. the the less we process and release the somatic experience of our trauma in the moment or later, it's a lot easier in the moment (laughs) because repairing later takes a lot more energy, but it's so possible. I've done a lot of it in my life still have more <laughs> always, but yeah. the, it's very, very interesting to see how, how that can continue to impede us and overwhelm us in our lives and people, Oh, they're so dramatic or, Oh, they overreact or, yeah. they, you know, there's all oh, these, these are emotions. They need to have them. Totally, totally. And processing those somatically. So I love what you're saying, like exercise or for a little kid having a tantrum, like movement, just paying attention mm-hmm. to their body or, you know, think of how many kids were told to sit still. Mm-hmm. I yeah. remember all the time, all the time, sit still, 
can't you just sit still? And I would say no. And they'd say, don't talk back to me. Yes. <laughs> I got that too. Stop moving. What you, you weren't asking, can't you just sit still? You were saying, sit still. Yes. That's really what they were saying, wanting to say, but they didn't. They asked a question and the bodies couldn't sit still. Mm. But it actually kind of was a metaphor to where we are at this time in the COVID is we can't move and express yes. ourselves. Yes. It's like in the classroom, you only have, you can only stay in this space. Yeah. So normally I would put music on and let kids express themselves. And especially if I see that they need to get that out right now, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I have to find different ways to do it. Yeah. And it's, it's very challenging, very, very mm. challenging. When you were talking about asking asking a child how their body feels and what does your body want to do, mm. um, I've actually been talking to my husband about this a lot because now we have uh, a preteen hormonal young boy navigating all those changes at the same time in a in a program at school which is challenging for him because I think the teachers teach in a way that he finds hard to understand. So I thought you would find this funny because he has slammed his door. Ah. Not slammed his door since he was five and a half years old. He is now 12 and a half years old. You know, I don't know. He was asked to do something and we're mean because we, you know, we asked him to put his dishes in the dishwasher. So we ran upstairs and he stamped up every stair. You could hear it it's like a four-year-old and slam the door. I mean, my husband looks at me and says, well, are you going to go do anything? I said, no, we're going to let him relax. He goes, are we removing the door? (laughs) And I said, well, really, if we remove the door, then what else can he slam? That's his power right now. We bought him a punching bag, but now he's allowed to punch the punching bag. So he doesn't want to punch something. He wants to do something he's not supposed to do just to feel the power, to feel the energy and to get it all out. To get it out. That's the thing. And that's what I can't remember if it was Emily or Amelia, but one of them was talking about when they were working on their PhD and they were so frustrated with the administration uh, around their PhD. So they would run on the treadmill and they would stomp while they were running on the treadmill and imagine themselves stomping on the heads of the administration that were driving (laughs) them crazy. They use that as an illustration of this is how you exit the tunnel. So just because the stressor is removed, it doesn't mean that the stress is removed. You have to allow the stress to exit mm-hmm. your body somehow. Exit your body, yes. And that's yeah. so funny. And I would call that a th- an expressive therapy technique. <laughs> exactly <laughs> what you're doing. I'm just thinking of like, if we had suggestions, what could I do in this moment of frustration? I think that... We should actually do an episode on parental burnout, but it's really only the last 10 years or so that people have even realized that there is such a thing as parental burnout. Mm. And it is vastly the the mothers that are being burned out or the P or the person who plays the mothering role. Like it could Mm -hmm. be the primary caregiver. Yeah, the the primary caregiver, right? Part of it is seeing the dirt, which is essentially patriarchy. That is part of the way that we think and, and view the world. So, yeah. Okay. Are we totally aligned in our algorithm today or what? I got to tell you, I was just going through, we got a couple boxes out of my grandma's garage. And I have this book of things that I've collected over the years, just as a young person. And I found this and we're talking about uh, one of those texts from a 1962 home economics book. 
for women. Let me read a few to you. And it's so funny because I just was reading these earlier uh, to my partner and he was laughing, but it's funny because we'd had a little bit of a conflict earlier this week about expectations um, as my work is getting very busy. And, and there always seems to be just a slight, slightly less placement of value on the work that I do in terms of my profession and a slightly higher expectation of what should be done like around the house with the kids, this type of thing. And it's funny because we were talking about it because it was coming to a head. We're both getting very busy again. And, and I was saying, I think this is a belief system that you have that I didn't fully understand before because it never had been pushed to this point before where we'd have you know, been surviving in a pandemic and both working full time and two kids at different phases of life. Like it's just, we've never been in this position. So all these things are coming to the surface that I want to call it a trauma. The patriarchy is a trauma, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, but look at this. So, um, so number one, get your work done, plan your tasks with an eye on the clock, finish an hour before he is expected your anguished cry. Are you home already? Is not exactly a warm welcome. (laughs) Have a nice meal when um, ready, and we yeah, can talk. About that too. Yeah, prepare yourself. Take fifteen minutes to rest, so you will be refreshed when he arrives. This will also make you happy to see him instead of too <laughs> tired to care. <laughs> turn, <laughs> turn off the worry and be glad to be alive and grateful for the man who is going to walk in. While you are resting, think about what you can do to make him happy. When you rise, take care of your appearance, touch up your makeup, put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. Remember, he has had a work weary day. Be a little gay and a little interesting. His boring day may need a lift. <laughs> wow. And that's just two of like, I think there's 12 here. Act happy to see him. Minimize all noises. Prepare the children. Make him comfortable. Make the evening his. Isn't this interesting? So, because it says this is from the 1962 home economics text. And I just very much believe that this is likely a, a fair amount. Although my grandma doesn't take no business from anybody. So I'm not sure it was exactly like this for her generation. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, just this whole idea of you exist solely. Yes. To please and care for him. And it's so funny. So I started reading a couple of them. And I changed the he to she. (laughs) See what this sounds like to you. Make her comfortable. Have her lean in a comfortable chair or offer that she take a nap before supper. Have a cool or warm drink ready for her. (laughs) Arrange her pillows. Offer Offer to massage her back. Take off her shoes. Speak in a soft, soothing, pleasant voice. Work to allow her to relax. How does that sound, ladies? It sounds unrealistic even for the women, but it sounds lovely. Right? One of the themes that runs through the burnout book is they talk about there's human beings and there's human givers. And so human beings, their job is essentially to be, and they take up the resources of other people and places and things around them so that they can be and be all that they're supposed to be in their lives. And then you have the human givers whose main job it is, is to support other people and give as much as they can and then give some more. And that's their purpose in life is to give to other people. And it ends up turning 
coming into what they call human giver syndrome, uh, where you don't even have a concept of yourself anymore outside of giving to other people. So women are about 90% of the human givers, which is not to say that men aren't human givers either. There are definitely men that are human givers, but women are almost always the human givers. And then they talk about, cause I think it's, I can't, I, I can never keep them straight. Cause their voices are the same in my head with between Emily and Amelia, but one of them's a health educator. And so she was talking to one of her classes and she was like, so how do we fix this problem of the human beings and the human givers? And so the, and the students always say, well, we need to raise everybody to the level of human being. And then she challenges them on that because she's like, well, but if everybody's a human being, then who's supporting the healing? She's like, we, and then she basically proposes, we need to elevate everybody to being a human giver because the solution is not self-care. It is actually caring for each other. And she totally Mm. deconstructs the whole idea of self-care. Uh, as bogus because that's not the solution the solution is that we all give to each other the balance of that of when your work is that but you're also a parent you're also a partner you're also a daughter you're also you know there's a number of roles that you play you're a community member you're a so if you have four five six hats of giving in your world that's a problem. Like that's going to become a true, true problem. And then when you have a partner together that you can work with and Brene Brown talks about this, I don't know if you've listened to this podcast or not, but she talks about how, when she's say been on a long road trip and she comes back and she's expecting her husband, I think his name is Steve to, yes. uh, to, to be there like, Oh, welcome home, honey. And just like have everything under control. But she gets back and Steve is like, his hair is falling out and he's freaked out. He's like, thank God you're back because he's like, <laughs> so, so stressed out and he's a pediatrician. Right. So he should have it under control, but he's, he's done. So, yeah. and then they would end up having these huge blowouts and these huge fights because neither of them had, because everything had been taken from them as givers. So now they do this thing where they say kind of what percent they're at. And like, if they're like, and she'll be like, I'm at 30% or I'm at 15%. And if he says he's only at 30%, then they have to almost like shut down everything that's going on. And just everybody in the family spends time resting, even if it means that, you know, people are getting too much screen time or whatever, they just let all of that go until they're both able to recharge until that at least both of them are at 50% so they can do a hundred percent together. Right. Brene Brown was on the Drew Barrymore show. And that's the piece that drew drew out was that piece about your spouse of like realizing when you're both depleted and what you need to do until you can kind of come back up to a level where you can function again, that you can't function when both of you are at 30%. Yes. You know, I I was going to say something about the human beings and the human givers some people, and it may be the majority of men, feel that by going to work, they are giving. Yes. Yes. They're giving. It's called entitlement. <laughs> the they're patriarchy. Giving. Yes. <laughs> but they truly, truly believe. Yeah. Because I've had conversations and the answer I get back is, well, I do all of this for you. Yeah. And I know I, I heard that in my, my marriage tongue. too. Mm-hmm. I bite my tongue because I think, Oh, you go into Joey's for lunch and you go golfing and you went out to Cardero's and you go <laughs> curling and you did all that this last two weeks 
for, for us. me. Yeah. How lovely that you did that for us. That's really how you feel is you're doing, you really believe that you're giving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I have that same husband say, well, I can't believe it. my son is giving so much to, to people. Like he's giving his stuff away. It's like, well, I think that's a good thing. He goes, well, I think he learns it from you. I think that's a good thing too. <laughs> I think it's good to help people. I think it's good to give things. I think it's good not just to go to work and feel you're doing. Yeah. That totally is true. I, I, for, I, I see this and, and this is the tension I think often in partnerships, but it's interesting as the, this next generation. So your son's generation, for example, as a giver, you know, what's that going to look like in his partnerships in the future? And I think about the same thing for my kids as we're role modeling and sort of squeezing out the edges of some of these roles that everyone's expected to play to seeing strong parents, um, all genders or gender identities out mm-hmm. there working, being professional and or being home and caregiving. The roles are, are just so different yes. now. And I think the fathering piece we want to talk about at some point more in depth, because I think this very thing completely yeah. harms fathering. This totally yeah. harms the opportunity yeah. to father. Yeah. And, and that's a whole additional conversation I'm really looking forward to. Um, I feel the exact same way because before the pandemic, my partner was away a ton for work as well. And he's staying in hotels. He's got a budget. He has, there's no dishes. There's no cooking. There's no preparing for school drop off or signing permission forms or dropping off to daycare. He walks in the room and the bathroom's been clean. The bedroom's been made. Uh, He can order anything he wants and it's served to him. And then they come home. (laughs) Exactly. And they come home. I don't work at the hotel. (laughs) No way. And then the house isn't in perfect condition. You're frazzled. It's exactly that situation to me. I resonated so much (laughs) with both of you. And I was like, okay, so let me get this straight. You went to this fancy restaurant. You had this really nice hotel on the waterfront. You had this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And let me tell you, my life has not been like that. But but to me, it's it's not only the, the parenting piece and my energy being so frazzled. And we had to establish this after a lot of conflict of, yeah. and again, I think conflict when we view it as an opportunity to learn more about Did each other. Yes, yes it, it's great. Um, and what we learned was, that very thing. And that's so funny that Brene Brown identified it is when he gets home, I'm, my tank is zero. Like I have been alone with everything plus work, plus the kids, plus every meal, like usually, and I got to say, I'm very grateful. I have a partner who contributes a lot domestically, especially during the pandemic. I think it was like, it was incredible. We were in such a rhythm because we were both doing the domestic stuff. We're both trying to do our work stuff, but it was just a real teamwork. But now it's amping up again, though we are still in this pandemic. But the expectations, I think, have adjusted to the point where we're getting back to normative work expectations. And there's a lot less patience and understanding and compassion for, hey, no one has childcare or very limited childcare, or we're not leaving the house. We're not like still doing our hobbies to like 
release or mm-hmm. have that um, that additional piece. But hey, let's just amp on all those additional expectations now that everyone's adjusted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're we in our home are going through this this period of of re navigating these relationships and it, or sort of our, our roles again now that the workload has increased um, and we're not as egalitarian anymore. And yeah, it used to be that thing where I'd have to say, okay, now, and we established this together. When you get home from a work trip, day one, I am out. The second you get home, I will greet you. I will say, hey, but I am piecing out for the night and I'm going to get back online and I will see you tomorrow. And he would come home with this expectation, like, yay, my family, yay, my partner. And like expected to be like greeted at the door with like confetti and joy and like a warm meal or like a homemade pie or something. And I'm like, hey, whoa, dude, nope, that's not how it works around here. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cannot do this. But it would create conflict. But then once we figured out what it was, we adjusted and oh my gosh, day two after a work trip is fantastic. I'll tell you, I was at the beginning of this week. I, I like, I can't do anything. I am so done. I'm on the verge of a major breakdown. Aww. I just can't do it. I felt like everything, like we were talking about those beads, mm-hmm. they were all pushing against me and mm-hmm. I just broke. And I woke up and after a good night's sleep and went, no and so two things on that is that the rest piece is critical there will be no healing physically or emotionally without rest so that's one of the things that the burnout book talks about and it also talks about on average 41 percent of our lives need to be spent resting And resting doesn't necessarily mean sleeping. It can mean, they talk about it, you burn out one particular gear, so you need to just use some other gears. And it basically means just changing up what you're doing so that you're doing something different, like Mm. skiing or canoeing or something like that, right? Like you just need to be doing something different and that can also be rest. So it doesn't have to be like lying down in bed, but it could be watching Grey's Anatomy. That's a form Mm -hmm. of rest, right? But if you get stuck in that as a numbing behavior, then it becomes stuckness, right? So that's the difference Mm -hmm. uh, between those two. And then the other piece is, is that another way to exit the tunnel is by crying having a good old fashioned cry and not Mm -hmm. be not trying to hold it in. Mm -hmm. Um, But they did say when you're crying, if you can detach from the reason that's making you crying, because then you stay, then it keeps amping it up, but just get into your body and really notice how the crying is feeling. Notice the tears running down your face. Let the sobs heave if they're if you're heaving like that, and just really get into the act of crying itself and detach from that feeling that made you cry. That is another way that you exit the tunnel. Wow, like mindful crying, being yeah. completely present. Yes, but letting yourself cry and not trying to stop it. Yes, mm. I have done that, but I've gone out for a run to do it. Yeah. Mm. Quote, quote, run. Yes. Mm. (laughs) I've done that too. The family feels I'm going for a run, but I need to get it out. And again, if you do it at home, is some families like, oh, they want to make it better. It's like, no, letting it out is what I need to make it better. (laughs) Yes. And that's what I'm doing to heal. 
to heal myself or to sustain myself, really, uh, I go out walking with him and I'm almost always wearing sunglasses these days, regardless if the sun's out or not, because I need to walk and cry at the same time. And because I am a recognizable face in my neighborhood for a number of different reasons, I have to wear sunglasses because I just want to walk and cry. Mm-hmm. And you can't do yeah. that really without sunglasses. So I, and it's interesting too. I think about the crying thing and I know for me, I don't know if it's because I was raised with brothers. I was raised with a mom who had only brothers as well. And her parents died when she was very young. So very much like what you would have termed a tomboy, she would call herself that yeah. and, you know, sports and like, it, it's always been about being tough. And, and the, my mom has been, I would love to you know, do a whole episode just on her, but she's been a survivor her whole life, foster care. And anyways, a number of traumas. And, and so I think I, it was never role modeled for me that crying was something that you could do as a, even as a woman. And I know, you know, this is a huge thing for boys and men not showing your emotion, not crying, but it's definitely been a real challenge for me. And I know um, there was a time a few weeks ago, I was really teary and I thought, okay, I want to show my kids that it's okay to cry. I don't want them to worry about me. Could be traumatized I, if they see you crying. This is the thing. The first time I saw my mom cry, I was traumatized because the woman does not cry. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I want her yeah. to know that I do cry and that it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And so I wasn't like actively having a huge sob, but I did have some tears and I just said, you know what, sweetie, mommy's just having a moment. I'm not feeling very very strong right now. And I just need to have a few tears and I'm okay. I'll be fine. I'm just going to cry right now. And I'm going to get through this feeling. And she just looked at me and she registered and she had a little bit of empathy and compassion. She kind of come and came and give me a hug. And then, but it was like, she was satisfied. She accepted that answer. Mm-hmm. And it, my problem didn't become her problem. She didn't take mm-hmm. it on or it didn't traumatize her. I was just sort of, and thinking about your language here, Karen, going through the tunnel. It's like, I kind of reassured her that I'm in a tunnel. I'm going to come out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll see you in a minute on the other side. I'm still here, but just know that this is, I'm in this tunnel, but well, and one of the criteria that they use to screen slash diagnose depression is, are you spending a lot of time crying? And so now it becomes pathology. It's not, it's not a natural, normal thing to happen. So So I feel like my crying has been used against me and it's like, okay, now we need to diagnose you with depression. And I'm like, no, no, this is all like, if this was happening to anybody Anybody, else, there would be a lot of crying. Anybody else would be more crying. There would be more (laughs) crying. Or just like, it's the appropriate response. Like, you know, if you see a horrific accident happen in front of you and you're not affected by it at all, Mm -hmm. that's inappropriate. And that's moving through the tunnel. And if you don't, if you deny it or you try to cover over it or be strong put on a brave face in that moment yeah well you're locking in that trauma yeah yeah and it's going one of your processed emotion well i was just gonna say it makes me think about how we as parents can only offer so much to our kids and I, even though you know, with the specialized, incredible skill sets that everyone here has, you are that person for so many other people's children. Mm -hmm. I know I can be something to uh, someone else's kid that I cannot be for my own children, just Mm -hmm. by nature of me being their parent. Mm -hmm. So 
when you, when I think about these incredible talented skilled workers with the biggest hearts that are out there doing the kind of work that we're all doing I just think what a blessing that there are those people in the world to help care for our kids along with us mm-hmm. to yeah. provide that rounded opportunity that rounded experience that uh, otherwise wouldn't be uh, available to them and that's what yeah. I think it was always supposed to be like, like we're so, you know, it's the whole, it takes a village to raise a child thing. Oh yeah. yeah. Like we yeah. were never supposed to be in these nuclear units where you don't know your neighbors or, you know, you see your neighbors once or twice a year or something like that. That is not the way we were meant to live. And once mm-hmm. again, that burnout book talks about this idea of independence being like the bastion of everything that we're looking to be is like, we don't need anybody. We're, you know, we can do this on our own. And, you know, even as women, we think of that, you know, I don't need anybody or I can do all of this on my own or whatever. Uh, but that's just not the way it works. When we're talking about our physical, social, and emotional health, we need each other. We can't function and our our emotions can't function Mm -hmm. the way that they're meant to function without each other like we need each other the odd time I get a parent and I see parents very very little in terms of if I'm working exclusively with a kid but but just having that expression of people saying hey like I recognize that it takes more than me you know Mm -hmm. and if we could all be in that place exactly like you're saying you know and it's hard because I will tell you that I am a pretty independent person and I I do pride myself in my independence and what I'm able to accomplish on my own but now I've gotten to the point where I can't do that by myself anymore and some amazing neighbors one who's actually a colleague at work even they arranged this meal train for me so that um, different neighbors deliver meals to me one (laughs) night a week And it was very, very hard for me to say yes to that. Mm. And I was talking to the mom of the family who I don't know very well. And she is blessed to be able to stay, be a stay at home mom with the kids while her partner who, who's a colleague of mine goes to earn the money, but she comes from a Korean background and you don't accept help like that. Like that's basically almost an insult that you can't do it on your own uh, from her culture. So they started the meal train for me because somebody did that for them when they, I think they, was when they had their third child and there was, there had two other kids and there was a lot going on with their other kids too. And they were just like, you know, starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed. And a couple of neighbors came together and did that, did it. And mm. she said it was so hard for her to accept the help and say yes. And I'm like, thank you for telling me this wow. because I feel like a really big loser. I feel super grateful. And I feel like a really big loser because I have to depend on other people to help me out in this. But it's so critical that we it's- stop this this business of I can do all of this because it's damaging and it's not helping my son. And it actually, and this is what she pointed out to me. She and I went out for a walk the other day and she pointed out to me, when you let people help you, it helps them. Yes. I was just going to say that you're, you're thinking about how it makes you feel. I, I always, it's, it's part of me. I need to help others to make myself feel better. And that may sound very selfish, but it really, that makes, that makes my heart happy. It Mm -hmm. makes me 
feel like I have a purpose mm-hmm. outside of mm-hmm. me and my yeah. family. Yeah. Um, and I've always felt that way. Yeah. It's just, Mm. So that, I, and I that meaning in life is critically important to getting us through stuff too mm. like we that that is what gets us through is that meaning of the giving and mm-hmm. and that's partly and that's what this podcast is about too right mm-hmm. is about giving back and I, we have the, our very first only just our pandemic episode is posted right now and a neighbor somehow I was just like oh yeah I gotta go like work on a podcast or whatever she's like you have a podcast and so I sent her the link and she listened to it and loved it. And she's like, and then I saw her this afternoon and she's like, I hope it's okay. I sent it to like 10 of my colleagues. Is that okay? Oh, <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's totally yeah. fine. That's wonderful. But it keeps giving. The yeah. human giver, the giving and the human being. It gets right back to what you were saying, Karen. Exactly, right? Well, everybody up to be givers but we you all got to be givers you just want to balance yourself because there's being a human giver which is good but you don't want to develop human giver syndrome where mm-hmm. you're giving beyond your capacity mm-hmm. and you're not giving to yourself mm-hmm. uh, and that piece when we're not giving to ourselves it's not selfishness to do it it actually helps the rest of the world around us when we're able to give to ourselves as well. Yes. And can I add receive? Yeah, that's a hard thing. That is a hard thing for me. It's very hard as Mm -hmm. natural givers. And I mean, even talking about the meal train, being able to receive, it's funny. I made a post because I try to do Well, I've got my Instagram that's more targeted toward the youth I work with. And I talked about, being so fatigued and you know at this point in the pandemic and all these things going on and I asked everyone what what makes your light shine what is it in your life and I just wrote a list of different things that I love I love colors I love fabrics I love markets I love nature I love outdoors I love music I love being on my patio I love and I just kind of like all these things whenever I'm doing those I feel the light inside of me that's always there even if it's just an ember Mm -hmm. it flashes it grows it grows it grows and I talked about how how it's so critical that and it's very similar in terms of the giving the receiving your light needs to shine so you can share that light with others yeah how do we continue to make sure our lights shine? And again, the self-care thing, I love that. I love that you're saying self-care is actually not, <laughs> not a true thing. Um, it's the giving, it's the receiving. And, and the more light we have, the more light others can have. And the more light, therefore, others can have and it can spread. And it's that symbiosis, right? So pro- providing that space, that time, how do we get into those places where not only we understand that we must and value um, that time to give us our light, but to give, to receive equally, to be in symbiosis, not to mm-hmm. not be so stuck in this individual. I must achieve. I must not accept help. I must not cry. I must persist. I must persevere. This must be hurtful. This must be, you know, like yeah. <laughs> how much do we have to go through that before we're all ill in poor relationship? Um, not the parents we want to be, not the employees or the leaders or the community members that we want to be. Mm-hmm. I just, um, it's this cycle. And I just love that we're calling attention to this. <laughs> wow, that episode went some great places that we really had no idea would go where they went. It's a great question for all of us. What makes your light shine? And reconnecting with that thing that makes your light shine 
I want to give a special shout out to solo parents out there. Solo parents are people who don't have a co-parent of any sort, whether you're separated or not. You're literally just doing it on your own. So more than ever, for all of us, this is a good question, but especially for the parents, the solo parents out there who are doing it on their own, what makes your light shine? Because your light needs to shine in order to give your family and the world around you what you have to give. And it's important to be able to give that thing that you have to be able to give to live a life that you love. If you want to share what makes your light shine or communicate with us here at this thing called parenting, you can find us on Instagram at thing called parenting or email us at thing called parenting at gmail.com. I'm Karen Jansen. Thanks for joining us today for this spontaneous episode. We didn't know what was going to happen. Have a great day.